We are going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles or your app on your phone, go ahead and pull that out, and we are going to get started here. If you have a Bible, the chapter right before that, before chapter 10, right at the end of chapter 9, you probably have a heading. Raise your hand if that heading says the cost of following Jesus. A lot of them will say that. Yeah, the cost of following Jesus. And we're going to talk about following Jesus this morning. Definitely there is a cost, but I think if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you know that the return on investment is pretty darn good. Luke chapter 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. The 72 who Jesus had sent out, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Look, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and on the full force of the enemy and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names stand written in heaven. Jesus, right before this, at the end of chapter nine, he says, you're raising your hand to follow me and you feel called to go out and do this ministry. And I'm gonna tell you, it's gonna be challenging. And they're like, well, we've got to take care of this and we're gonna do this first. And Jesus is like, no, come on, let's go. And then as they raise their hand to be sent out two by two, Jesus warns them, it's like a lamb going out amongst the wolves. And Jesus says, you're gonna go into these places that are gonna receive me and some places won't receive me. And the enemy is gonna come against you. And Jesus tells them and they go out and they're preaching and they're doing things and there's some people that reject them and then there's some that accept them and they come back and they're super impressed with the fact that they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus is unimpressed. Jesus is like, yeah, I, I know, I know. Jesus over and over is saying, fear not. And Jesus says, listen, I know. He says over, I gave you power over the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. But listen, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice over the fact that your name is written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. That's what you should be excited about. Everything else is house money, right? Jesus is like, we got this. You do not have to be afraid. Of course, the enemy is going to come against you if you're doing a good work. But listen, do not be afraid. And I think for us, we need to be reminded, absolutely, the enemy is going to come against us. But 100%, God says he will protect us. That's not the impressive part. The impressive part is our standing in heaven. So I want to talk this morning about a couple of keys for us. It says the cost of following Jesus. I would say that Jesus says, here's a couple of keys for us following him. Now, We're starting a new season. We're starting a new school year. Um, Jesus is constantly, no matter where you're at in your walk, continually calling us out into more. I was really convicted this week by a quote I read from an atheist as I was thinking about sharing my faith. This atheist, Penn Gillette, said this, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever you believe and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody 
to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them. That's from an atheist. You believe this? And you're afraid that it might make you uncomfortable if you share that? That kind of hit me this week. And Jesus tells us our eternal standing is what's important. Don't worry about being socially awkward. Don't worry about the enemy coming against you. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen, right? So two things for us to think about this morning. As we think about the people in our lives, maybe schools for some of you young people, maybe it's a new job, maybe it's new friends, maybe it's a new neighbor, new neighborhood. I don't know what it is, but Jesus is going to continually ask you to live out your faith in a bold way. Two keys for us. We need to know who we are and how we got there. And I think the people around us, this atheist, other people who are unbelieving, need reminded of that who they are, how we got here. And then we're gonna finish with an example that I think Jesus gives us so that we can actually be encouraged and live this out. Number one, the Bible says we all fall short. Since Genesis three, we have lived in a broken world. We live in a sinful nature. By nature and choice, sin is a part of life. Without sin, if you think that you are without sin, the Bible actually says that you're calling God a liar. But... When we come to Jesus and we say, I believe that you came, that you lived, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you went to the grave, that you were resurrected, you resurrected your body three days later so that I could live and have your spirit dwelling within me. When we say, I want that, yes, my spirit agrees with that. When we come to that point, we become what? Not a sinner, but a saint, a saint. Amen. The Bible, over 300 times, talks about sinners. It's debatable that three of those times are possibly directed at believers. In fact, over 200 times in the Bible, Christians are called saints. It's really important. It seems like a simple concept, but listen, it's really important that we know that And it's really important that our new believers, our neighbors, anybody that you are called to minister to understands this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Romans 1.7 says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 5.8, and when he had taken the scroll and then he describes it and he calls it the prayers of the saints. 1 Corinthians 14, as in all the churches of the saints. Revelation 14, the saints. Psalm 34, 30, verse four, sing praises to the Lord, you, his saints. You're a saint. That's your identity. And we can be, in, we can be secure in that. John chapter 10, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Revelation three, verse five, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book. Romans chapter eight, 37 through 39, know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from God in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are saints and we are secure in that standing. Saints in the kingdom, not sinners. Here's why that's important. Sinners sin. Sinners sin. And saints stumble. Saints will stumble, but they're still saints. We, in this broken world, live in a temporary residence where sin is a part of our life. We'll make mistakes, we'll stumble, we'll do, oh man, what in the world? I I thought I was over that. Sin is our temporary residence. Our eternal citizenship is in the kingdom. Sin, temporary residence. Sainthood is our eternal citizenship. The Folkstads, several years, missionaries over in Africa. Temporary residing in Africa, but citizens of the United States. We need to understand that as believers because when we blow it, sin should push us back to our father. And too many young people, I see this all the time and I see it with adults, sin actually drives them further from the father. Sin should be the guardrail back to the father. I love the story of the prodigal son. He's, he's blown it, lived it up, lived this sinful life. And then he's in the pig slop and he just, man, my father has so much more for me. And he gets up and he goes back to his father who receives him. Sin should drive us back to our father. And here's the thing. I wish I could give you like, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that, give you the exact words to say and give you the right thing to do and all that. But what I've found as a believer, the biggest battle we're gonna face is the battle in our mind. Absolutely, the biggest battle that I face comes from the enemy trying to derail me. And you know what's so good about, you know what's so funny about liars? The devil, the devil is a liar. That's what the Bible says. The devil is a liar. But the best liars they actually use part of the truth to get you to believe what they're trying to tell you, right? Have you noticed that? I was, my wife and I, we were, we were out for a walk the other day and I was just like, man, like this, th- th- what's going on in this world of, we were talking about a situation. I'm like, man, it just frustrates me and I want so bad to like stop that and I wanna preach against that. And I said, sometimes, the enemy will remind me that there was a time in my life when I was in college in Portland and Ashland for a while where I mocked Christianity and I was searching and I didn't know, I didn't know Jesus. And we drove by the other day, we drove by this church, we were going to dinner and I was like, I went to that church in college. And she's like, wait, you weren't a Christian. I'm like, I know. I went to that church. She's like, why? I'm like, I have no idea but God was in hot pursuit of me in spite of the fact that I thought it was a joke. I was an agnostic. I really didn't know. I had spent some time as a believer early on, but I didn't know. And I was in college and I was kind of, and God never ever stopped pursuing me as a saint in his kingdom. Now we're saints. We're not sinners, saints. And in fact, actually, can you say it right now? Just say it out loud. It feels really awkward. Say it, I'm a saint. That was about half of you. Say it out loud. I'm a saint. 
And we tell the high schoolers to have confidence when you say it, not confidence, confidence. I want you to, everybody say it this time. I am a saint. Okay, tell your neighbor, I'm a saint. <laughs> so, you are a saint. We've established that. Now, how did you get here? How did you get to this point? It's so important that we as believers, as saints, know that our identity in Christ has been something that we received, not achieved. We received sainthood from our father because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. We did not achieve anything. And we can say we believe that all day, but there are times when it starts to kind of creep into our life and we actually believe that there's something that we need to do to keep that standing. Our sainthood is based on what Jesus did. Our identity was received. The Bible says that we are chosen, that we are holy, that we are royalty, that we are heirs, heirs to our father in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He makes, what's Facebook guy's name? What's his wealth? I don't even know. Jeff Bezos from Amazon, God's inheritance that he wants to bestow on us. Unbelievable. We, the Bible says, are heirs to his kingdom. Now, the reason we need to know that that is something that we have received and not achieved is because it will change how we act. My kids have won awards, had academic success, music success, athletic success. None of the things that they have accomplished have made them my kids. None of those things. Now, if we're living as Christ followers, hopefully we're pursuing righteous things and doing well, but none of those things, that's just a byproduct of what we believe, but none of those things actually give them their identity. They are my kids because they're my kids. Nothing that they have done earned that identity. The reason it's important for us is because if we think we have achieved our identity, we will look at those who are not doing well and say, why haven't they figured it out? Happens to me. Drive through town. Man, I want so much more for them. God wants so much more for them. Why haven't they figured it out? And then we can get this attitude of, why try? Why try? And I'll find in my heart a lack of compassion. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have the other person is saying, why can't I figure it out? Why can't I get it together? And then what you'll find in the same person, and this person is the same thing. Why try? Why try? I have no hope. There is no point. If I have to achieve my identity and my standing, why try? We'll never be able to fully manage our identity the way we want to. There will always be somebody who has more money, better job, better hair, better body, more followers. We will never, ever be able to manage our identity if we believe we have achieved something. I've shared this story a million times with our high school kids, and some of them are probably going to be sick of hearing it this morning, but my daughter 
when she was about three, obsessed with princesses. And I've probably shared this with you guys before too, but obsessed with princesses. I told her she was my little princess. Go to Disneyland, like that's all she wanted to do was see the princesses. She had a closet full of dresses and tutus and all of that stuff. And I remember one night sitting at the dinner table, we're sitting there, Selena and I are getting dinner ready and the kids are sitting at the table and there's some A1 steak sauce on the table and the boys, older brothers, trying to get her to drink the A1. Just drink it. And I'm listening and they're like, yeah, just drink this. You know, well, she's, not, she's not buying it. And then finally, our oldest says, Avery, if you drink this steak sauce, you'll become a princess. <laughs> Boom, right? That's like, that's the thing that's gonna, that's gonna push her into it, right? So I'm a sinner sometimes. <laughs> My, I'm also an older brother. And I'm listening to this conversation and I'll admit, I probably have never told Avery this. I was curious what would happen if she actually drank it. So I didn't intervene. I'm like, oh, okay, I wanna see what happens here. My oldest son is just like me. My oldest says, you will become a princess if you drink this. And she stops him and says, I don't have to drink that. I already am a princess. Right? Yeah, I know. (laughs) To this day, She's so confident and secure in who she is. She doesn't reach. She's not out of her comfort zone. She's not trying to be somebody that she's not. She's secure in who God created her to be. Now, if we are achieving our identity, there's always going to be somebody better, bigger, prettier, more money, whatever. And this played out in our lives with our son's basketball team. I help oversee the youth basketball for Grants Pass High School. And over the last few years, we've put some travel teams together and we've gone to tournaments and we take the 10 best 10 or 12 basketball players from Grants Pass and we'll go play other cities around the state. And in fourth or fifth grade, one of my boys, we had some tryouts and stuff. And over the course of a few days, we had the top 10 or 12 basketball players. And they were feeling pretty good about themselves. Their time that they had put into it, they had achieved the recognition and the title of being one of the top 10 or 12 fourth, fifth grade basketball players in Grants Pass. Big deal, right? Was to them. So we go to our first tournament. They're the best basketball players from Grants Pass. We go up to Salem. I think we played a team from Kaiser. Our very first game. New uniforms, caveman. They're excited. We lost 61 to 22. (laughs) It was under 60. It was under 60. We were the best here. They felt good about what they'd achieved. They didn't feel so good about themselves in Salem, right? Didn't mean much to that team from Kaiser. Now, to their credit, the next year they lost by one in overtime. So they were determined to get better. But we, if we think our identity is achieved are constantly going to be reaching for things that we don't have any business doing. Now, I believe that Jesus gives us a great example. When Jesus was asked about the parables, why do you teach in parables? Jesus said, listen, if you have ears to hear, hear what I have to say. And he said, I'm gonna reveal the mysteries of the kingdom. And I believe that he's gonna do that. I believe that he has done that through a certain group of people that we're gonna look at here this morning. And if this was our middle school group, I would tell them after saying, if you have ears to hear, I would tell them to reach over and pull on your neighbor's ear 
to make sure they have ears to hear. If you're brave enough this morning, you could do that to see if your neighbors got ears to hear. Some of you are choosing not to, which is probably pretty wise. (laughs) There's a group of people in the Bible and they are called Samaritans. And they are Jewish people who are a part of the group that has conquered and taken into captivity by some of the other empires in the area. And the Samaritan people, it says, they actually begin to intermarry with some of the pagan cultures. They actually, kind of like the New Testament says, it looks like they're the, the type of Christian that has one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. They're kind of living what is called duplicitous lives. But it says that they still believe in a monotheistic God. They still believe in the God of the Bible. They still follow the law. They worship on a different mountain, but they have committed this sin of following some of the other pagan cultures. And in the New Testament, they are looked down on. The biggest insult you can give somebody is to say that you are like a Samaritan. And about this time last year, I was reading through the Bible and I was like, man, God, why, like the Samaritans, I just, why is it that Jesus is always talking about the Samaritans? In Luke chapter nine, verse 54, they go to a Samaritan village, Jesus and James and John, and this Samaritan village rejects Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. And James and John, they just get all, you know, and they're like, Jesus, do you want us to call down thunder and completely obliterate this Samaritan village? In their minds, they think that's a good idea. And Jesus rebukes them. They reject Jesus. The answer from James and John is, let's call down thunder and destroy them. And Jesus says, no. In fact, rebuke is a pretty tough word. Jesus is not happy that that's what their solution to this problem is. We know also, the woman at the well says was a Samaritan woman. She's there in the middle of the day, outcast, alone, trying to draw water from the well. And Jesus comes and strikes up this conversation with her and he's talking to her about her lifestyle. And he says, yeah, I know, I know. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. Jesus just calls it out. But, gives her an invitation to experience living water. When everybody else had rejected her, maybe rightfully so, Jesus invites her in. And then we see another story, another Samaritan. In fact, it's called the Good Samaritan. And it's really interesting to me. I was, maybe if, if you know more than I do, you, you can correct me on this, but As far as I can tell, in the scriptures that were written, it doesn't say good Samaritan. This is added later in the canonization of the Bible, a little subheading that says the good Samaritan. And it's almost like the early church, the early Christians, when they put this together, they still had this piece of them that felt like the Samaritans were a little bit unworthy, the good Samaritan. Like there's there's a good one. Like we would say, the good hippie or the good redneck or the good liberal or the good conservative, the cool one. This is a cool conservative. This is a cool liberal. There's, a, there's one. Even the early 
canonization of the Bible makes this distinction. There's a good Samaritan. Jesus uses an example of a good one. And it comes out of this conversation with a lawyer who's talking about salvation and an eternal standing with Jesus. And he asks Jesus about this question, eternity, excuse me. And Jesus uses the Samaritan who he knows they all can't stand, who has comes from a history, generation after generation of people who have been looked at differently. And this lawyer is questioning Jesus. And it's as if Jesus wants him to know, listen, Jesus says, listen, I know your bloodline. And I know the Samaritan's bloodline. And this guy loves people. And that's what I've asked you to do is to love people. That's going to be the difference. Now, Jesus is telling him, I don't care about your heritage. I care about your heart. And there's people in our lives and there's people here this morning who Jesus is saying, I don't care that you come from a family of alcoholism and drug abuse and sin and sin and sin. I don't care. And there's people here this morning who Jesus is saying, I don't care if you grew up in the church. I don't care about your heritage. I care about your heart. Where are you in your relationship with me this morning? Jesus doesn't care that my kids have grown up in the church. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with each one of my kids. It's funny to me. I've asked people before, do you know Jesus? And I've heard this response, and some of you have probably heard this response too. No, my family doesn't go to church. And that was not the question. The question was not, does your family go to church? Like this lawyer who questions Jesus. The question was, do you know Jesus? The invitation is there for everyone, no matter where they come from. I see these Samaritan people, like a lot of people I see working with youth and in this community, there's just almost like this oppression, like this is as good as it can get for me because this is all my family has ever known or ever done. And I'm just gonna settle for this right here. And we as believers need to constantly be reminding people, listen, you are a saint in his kingdom. When you bring your heart to Jesus, you become a saint And it's nothing that you've done. It's all everything that he has done on the cross. And now Jesus wants so much more for you. I grew up both sides of my family. My mom's side of the family, my grandpa, Irish immigrant, worked at a mill in Roseburg. And my dad's side of the family in the logging timber industry here in Southern Oregon. And I remember as a little kid riding in a logging truck up in the mountains and getting a load of logs and coming down. It was pretty cool riding with my grandpa and having our lunch and everything. And I remember my dad saying, you're not going to do that. I want you to do something else. And, I, and I, I think we have a lot of amazing people in this community who have worked in that industry, but there was some providence. God was kind of protecting me in that. God knew for me, that might not be a good thing. It might be better for me to do something different. And I went to college. Well, I think one of the first ones in my family to actually go to college and get a degree. And I'm so thankful that my parents said, there's something different for you. 
And the same thing for my kids, man. I hope my kids go on to way more bigger and better and live a richer, deeper, riskier life with Jesus, not safe. I left teaching and came into this and I probably was like these 72. I was teaching for about nine or 10 years and I thought I was gonna become a school principal and I had the best two years I'd ever had, best staff and the best schedule and I was really loving what I was doing and Edgewater asked me to come on staff here and it took me a while to really process that and if I'm totally honest, I was like these guys these 72 who come back, I was really probably concerned about my comfort more than anything, giving up purrs, giving up summers off, giving up different holidays, giving, giving up a certain identity where people might say, man, you went to college and you paid for a master's and, you did, and now you're gonna walk away from that? Yeah, if I'm completely honest, there was a part of me that was a little fearful of how that would be perceived and how I would be doing with it. And it's a little humbling that Jesus says, you were worried about me protecting you? Rejoice that you are a saint in my kingdom. The sky is the limit. If you're here today and you've been raised in a Christian home, Jesus doesn't care. He wants your heart. If you're here today and you've had some moments of frustration and disdain for the difficulties in our community that some different people might engage in, I want you to know that God wants the message of hope and redemption to go forth in this community. He wants to use you to take that message, maybe as the 72, two grants pass. God hasn't given up on anybody. This year, set some goals. Risk it for the kingdom. Search out those Samaritans. Know that just because your family has been fill in the blank has nothing to do with what Jesus is calling you into. Sky's the limit. The worship team is gonna come back up here. I was thinking about Joshua. It says he was advanced in years and he said, there is still yet much more land for me to conquer. Joshua, who accomplished so much, is saying, there's still more. Jesus is calling me out to even more. And he knew who he was. He knew how he got there. A saint. An identity that had been received and not achieved. If you haven't known what it's like to be accepted and live like a kid in his kingdom, make today the day. We'll close with, with this. We had, um, my daughter came home this year and she said, dad, she said, you know how the, in class they do that thing where if you got like so many right, like you have you stand up, you know, and then as you get more and more, they have you sit down. And I said, yeah. She goes, well, we took our state quiz today, the capitals, the state capitals. And we were correcting it in class and we were about to share what we got. And the teacher um, before the teacher started, this, this one kid raised his hand and he said, teacher, teacher, um, you know how you do that thing where everybody stand up? And she's like, yeah. He's like, today, can you start with one? <laughs> she said, yeah, we can start with one. And she said, if you got one out of 50, stand up. And the whole class stood up. And she said, if you got two out of 50, stand up. And he sat down. 
I laughed, but at the same time, my heart broke. Because what that kid wanted is what everybody wants. It's to be accepted. And Jesus' invitation for acceptance is for everybody. For everybody. I want you today to know that Jesus is who he said he is. That you are who he said you are. I want you to know that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And he wants to do in your life big, big things. Would you guys please stand? We're going to pray. If you're someone here today who, like that little kid, is standing and you want to be accepted, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your family's been through. The Bible says, repent and be baptized. That's it. Become a saint. Jesus said, that's it. Rejoice in that. That the Father in heaven, the creator of everything in the universe knows you. When you have that kind of security, you can live a bold, bold life. Father God, we pray if there's anybody here today who hasn't known you as Father, who hasn't received your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would move in their hearts today, God, that they would do a bold and brave thing and they would come forward for baptism. They would do just as you say, repent and be baptized. They would make today the day that they live as they were created as a saint receive the identity that you have given freely because of the work your son Jesus did on the cross. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.